ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. We were long distance for the first three years of our relationship and so we didn't have to deal with each other's small things. We had these holidays together that were amazing and romantic and then we got married and the first time we were watching a box set together and it was like the first time we we just sat and done a really normal couple thing together, <laughs> turned to him and I'm like, have you always breathed this loudly? I consider myself someone who is not a super particularly angry person, but there is nothing that will get me from zero to rage, like Incredible Hulk style rage. Someone eating, chewing, slurping tea. It's the vigorous scraping of the bottom of Tupperware containers. This is not an excavation, you've reached the bottom. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong, and on this episode of This Working Life, the sounds that drive you up the wall at work. Any sounds related to eating, so slurping, lip smacking, that kind of thing. There's nose and throat sounds, so that's things like repetitive sniffing, coughing, throat clearing, and then there's environmental sounds, and those are sort of repetitive. It can be tapping or rustling or sort of scraping kind of sounds. Turns out it's a condition called misophonia. The nature of the reaction was different, so they said it was more likely to cause an anger or a panic response. You'll be learning all about it, how it impacts people at work and what you can do about it. I have quite a few people where the main problem is work. That's the reason they're looking for help, because it's disrupting their work. This is Jane Gregory. I'm a clinical psychologist and researcher at the University of Oxford. And as long as you can remember, you've had this adverse reaction to certain sounds, but it was only a decade ago when you realised that something was happening. It was after you read an article. What happened? That's right. So for for years, I'd just been bothered by these particular sounds, eating, breathing, clocks ticking, pigeons. I had no idea why. I thought I was just uptight and couldn't deal with these things. And then stumbled across this article in the New York Times that mentioned the word misophonia. And as soon as I read it, I just, everything snapped into place. I was like, oh, okay, that's <laughs> describes exactly what I've experienced this whole time. And clearly I'm not the only person who experiences it. And when you realised and all these things clicked into place, what did you want to do with that? To start with, just knowing was really important. Like just having that information really made a difference and it took the edge off a little bit. I stopped worrying about being a terrible person, I think, in that moment. And then over time, I would just I kept thinking about it a little bit more and then thinking about the fact that other people were experiencing it and then decided that if this was a relatively common thing, maybe there was something that could be done about it and started looking into ideas for therapy for this uh, to see if anything could help and not many people were doing it. So I just decided to start experimenting on myself. I was a clinical psychologist. I was seeing patients at the time and just thought, I'm just going to try things on myself and see what happens. Like what? What were you doing on yourself, Jane? <laughs> so there's this thing that we do for, uh, for people with OCD. It's called opposite action. And it's when, if you know that what feels true in the moment is not actually reflective of the reality, then you do the opposite of what you want to do. And so in the moment, it felt like my husband was this horrible person with no manners who shouldn't be allowed to eat in public. (laughs) And therefore, what I wanted to do was glare at him until he ate at a reasonable volume. 
But instead of doing that, I started doing the opposite and I started gazing adoringly at him instead of glaring at him. And it wasn't an immediate fix or anything. It didn't take away the reaction entirely. But over time, doing that over and over again, it took away that feeling that he was this horrible person (laughs) because I knew that he wasn't, but I'd stopped acting as if he was. And then I started to believe it, that actually both these things can be true. He can be a lovely person who happens to eat louder than I would like, but that doesn't make him a terrible person. And then when you're realising that, oh, this is actually making a difference for me, is that when you realise that you could potentially work with others? Exactly, yeah. So I I tried lots of these little experiments and noticed that over a period of a few months, my reactions just started to feel different. I sort of felt like I had a new mindset on the problem. And so that's when I started to think, actually, maybe we could be working with people with this problem, especially at the more severe end of the scale where there's a lot of that sort of internalised shame about the problem and feeling guilty about how they react and not feeling helpless about what they can do about it. So that was when we set up the option for people in our clinic to be able to come and see us for this problem and just sort of, again, experimental to start with. But people also started to find it helpful and make some improvements. A bit later on, Jane will give us some advice on what you can do about this at work. But first, here's what some of you This Working Lifers had to say about sounds at work. Hi, my name is Lauren Levine. Any sort of noise just drives me to distraction. I had the loveliest colleague who was this this, um, beautiful young woman who just found joy in every conversation. And we were running a conference so there were lots of people calling to book or to have problems with the website. And she managed to find something hilarious with, uh, with every single person who called, but it drove me crazy. It's just what you have to deal with in an open plan office, but it's really, really hard for people who are very, very sensitive to even lovely sounds. And laughter, of course, is a lovely sound. Hi, I'm Hamish Thompson and I'm a publicist. I grew up with a dad who had very unsoundproof cheeks and I developed this um, irritation at the sound of eating oranges. And I have found that just obsessively annoying in in offices. And I suppose another one is the vigorous scraping of the bottom of Tupperware containers. That troubles me too. You know, I feel like saying, look, mate, this is not an excavation. You've reached the bottom. You don't need to try and dig any further. Hello, my name is Kate Richardson and I'm an executive career coach. About two decades ago, when I worked at Sydney Opera House, my colleagues nicknamed me Tappity because I was such a loud keyboard typer. I now work in a home office full-time and maybe everyone in the world of work is better for it because I'm also a really loud phone talker. Hi, I'm Steph Clark. I'm a facilitator and a futurist and in my future I would never ever like to hear anyone eating anything in an office ever again. In an office I used to work in I actually had to move desks several times like in the middle of the day because there was some really nice people who sat around me but who ate almonds as if they're eating some kind of gravel. I consider myself someone who is not a particularly angry person but there is nothing that will get me from zero to rage like incredible hulk style rage like hearing someone eating chewing slurping tea cannot bear now interestingly when we ask people what 
sounds in the office or at work annoy you? We were flooded with people (laughs) responding. So how would I know if I just get annoyed with people who make loud noises at work or if I have misophonia? I think the key difference is the sort of number and volume of sounds that cause a problem. So if you can hear someone chewing really, really loudly, most people would say that that's annoying. So I think in a general population study, 85% of people said, yep, I don't like that sound. But in the misophonia population, not only did 99% say it was a problem, but the, the nature of the reaction was different. So they said it was more likely to cause an anger or a panic response. So the intensity and the nature of the reaction is different. There's also an element of um, the, the layers around it. So feeling trapped or helpless, like you can't get away from the sound, feeling bad about yourself for the way that you react, feeling a lot of anger towards other people for causing that sound. So it's not just that initial reaction. There's sort of these layers to it as well. And is it any particular category of sound that can trigger this response? Yeah, there are three main categories of sounds. So eating sounds, so any sounds related to eating, so slurping, lip smacking, that kind of thing. There's nose and throat sounds, so that's things like repetitive sniffing, coughing, throat clearing, and then there's environmental sounds, and those are sort of repetitive. It can be tapping or rustling or sort of scraping kind of sounds, so that can come from things that humans do or it can come from things that machines or things that are in the environment. And do we know what might be happening in the brain when these sounds are being heard? There are a few studies that have been scanning brains while they're listening to these sounds and comparing people with and without misophonia and comparing what happens when they listen to those kinds of sounds with other sounds that most people would find horrible to listen to. So it might be like a siren or something or nails down a blackboard kind of sound which everyone would get a reaction to. And what they've found is that people with misophonia have a different connection pattern or sort of a sort of hyper connection pattern in certain areas of the brain. And those areas of the brain, unfortunately, are areas of the brain that do lots of different things. So there's still people, we're still trying to interpret what that actually means, but it could be something to do with the way we combine sounds with meaning or interpretation or emotion. So sort of emotions get more attached to sounds than they do for people without misophonia. Okay, so the reactions to certain sounds are more intense for people with misophonia and their sound triggers vary. So how does it impact them at work? For Charlie, who didn't want to use her surname, her colleagues are unfortunately her worst triggers. Hi, my name's Charlie. I work in marketing and I have had misophonia since I was nine years old. I was diagnosed looking for help on the internet and took part in a research study in 2017. So I probably have about over 200 triggers. The worst ones are sounds made by humans like chewing, smacking lips, but I'll also be triggered by other weird sounds like footsteps or traffic lights. So I've had to try and explain this to a lot of people and it is really hard, but it's a very overwhelming, intense set of negative emotions, mainly for me, and they do differ, I think, per individual, but for me it's panic, disgust, anger and hatred. So the worst thing about having misophonia is that the longer you spend with people, the more they trigger you. 
So when it comes to the workplace, you're obviously around the same people for up to eight hours a day and they become your worst triggers and you become hyper aware of everything that they do, clicking pens, chewing gum, eating at their desk, even breathing heavily, sniffing constantly. I mean, the list goes on, but the hardest thing about work is that you are surrounded by your worst triggers and you can like the person as much as you like a friend or family. Like I adore a lot of people that I work with, but they're my worst triggers. So Jane, uh, this is a little bit like your marriage scenario, but what are your thoughts on colleagues being your worst triggers? There seems to be a few factors that contribute to who triggers you the worst. And that what, what Charlie was just saying is really common that the people you spend the most time with can cause the strongest reactions. And it is that factor of repetition. So every time you hear a trigger, you're not just hearing that trigger, you're also remembering the last time that they did that. And if you've got more, <laughs> a bigger collection of times where they've made that sound, then it's going to compound the reaction over time. It also means that there's more opportunities for them to have done it in a way that was particularly emotional. Or if you've had an experience where someone's making a sound and you feel like you've communicated to them not to make it, whether it's with a subtle glance or offering them a box of tissues or something like that, and they don't respond, then that feels like they're also now disrespecting you. Not just that they're making the sound, but they're also not meeting your needs that you feel like you've communicated clearly. And sometimes you have communicated clearly and they still haven't done it. But a lot of the time what we do is we do these subtle things that we think are communicating what we need and actually the person has no idea because they don't have misophonia and they don't realise that it can cause such an intense reaction in other people. So that can then compound the problem as well. The other aspect in the workplace, one of the reasons work colleagues can trigger you is that if there's also stress at work, if you're in an environment that is stressful or where there's other kinds of conflict, then that can also, your brain can also then start to attach sounds to those feelings of stress and conflict. And so then when you hear those sounds, it's like your brain has paired that with the idea of stress and conflict. So when you hear the sound again, even when things aren't stressful, you start to feel that sense of stress again. And again, that's like a basic survival thing that our brain does to help us to learn what sounds are associated with particular kinds of stress and danger. But in a workplace, it's not very helpful because it means that you're then feeling infuriated by a clicking pen where there's not actually a problem there that needs to be dealt with. And does it matter at all who is making the sound, Jane? So could you, in fact, be more sensitive to someone's mouth clicking if you potentially don't like the way they work? <laughs> that is definitely a possibility because there's this idea that it's something to do with sort of attaching meaning to sounds, then sometimes the sound can be more intense if there's a pre-existing conflict or yeah like you said if you don't like the way that they work then you might be your brain sort of more like looking out for things not to like about that person but it can also be the opposite it can be the people closest to you the people that you love the most that can cause the strongest reaction and that's kind of like a, a resistance reaction it's like the 
this would be the worst thing in the world would be to be bothered by this person. And sometimes once we get it in our head, don't be bothered, don't be bothered, it can then make you bothered by it. It's like that thing of like try not to think of a pink bunny, like it just pops into your head. So don't get annoyed and then you're already listening out for it. And then because it's so it would be such a disaster to be annoyed by it, the emotional reaction is bigger and then as I was saying before about memories building each time you remember it, it's like, oh no, I'm going to be bothered again. And this isn't a conscious thought process. It's just your body telling you this is going to be a problem. And so it intensifies the reaction. So there are lots of kids whose parents are their biggest trigger and there's no conflict there. It's just that the parent that they rely on and depend on the most is now the one that triggers them the most because they care about them so much and because it's so important that it's not a problem. And Jane, have you heard of any workplace blow-ups due to misophonia? I know people who have left their jobs to avoid workplace blow-ups that they just didn't feel like they can contain themselves anymore and actually the safest thing was just to remove themselves from that environment. I think that that's, that's the most common reaction is to remove yourself so that that doesn't happen. But I know that there are also people who explode and shout at people at work and it can cause huge problems with workplace dynamics. And what about your experience, Jane? How did it um, impact your work? For a long time, it sort of drove me to, this sounds crazy, but it drove me to do well because I saw that managers had their own office. (laughs) And so there was this thing that was like, if I can just work really hard and become a manager, then I'll get my own office. And then I'll be able to have a silent clock in the room. I'll be able to close the door. So I can't, don't have to listen to people eating out in the other office. So it was sort of a driving force for me to do well. But I also, again, because I work in a psychology team. So I knew that there was an, I was able to talk about things maybe in a way that other people, it's not safe to do in their office environment. So I um, had a period of time where people would have to bring any sort of new referrals to our clinic. They would bring them to me and discuss them with me. And if someone came and was eating, I would be able to say, I'm really sorry. I know this sounds crazy, but I can't concentrate very well if I can hear the sound of eating. And I know it sounds weird, but I won't be able to give you my full attention because part of my attention will be on that sound. So do you mind just pausing your eating while we have this conversation or bring the conversation back to me later. But I think I'm in a really lucky position that I've worked in places where that's a thing that it's possible to do. My name's Charlotte Blair and I'm the founding partner of The Strengths Partner. I have always had an issue with noises. My family used to tell me, God, you're so intolerant. And then a couple of years ago, I think probably maybe five, six years ago, my sister actually sent me a link and said, I think this is what you have, misophonia. And I was like, yes, that's me. And it's amazing how many people actually I've met who have the same thing. Um, we run this workshop. Um, when I'm doing Gallup Strengths, we run this workshop. And one of the activities that we do is the best of me. And we answer four questions. So we get the participants to answer four questions. You get the best of me when. You get the worst of me when. This is what I need from you. And this is what you can count on me for. And I will, uh, when I'm working as part of a team, somebody else's team or a project team or a client team, I will share my own as well. And one of the things that I share is you get the worst when you crunch 
an apple crisp or carrots anywhere near me. Now, I, I don't expect people to not eat, but I say, hey, just give me a warning. Just let me know if you're going to do it so I can move. It's my issue. So, you know, I can I can move. So they go, Charlotte, I'm going to eat an apple. And I go, okay, you know, uh, and I will go somewhere else or put my noise-canceling headphones on. The one thing that I find a little bit harder sometimes is when we are working and I'm coaching over Zoom. And somebody might be in their own home and they might not have had lunch or it might have been scheduled for a coaching call, you know, 1.30 and they've got an apple or carrots or something with them and they start crunching. That I have a, um, a kind of just a, a reaction that it's really hard to control and I can't focus. If they start crunching an apple, I kind of want to be able to say, don't, don't crunch that apple. But I, you know, I, I find that a little bit harder. And when you've got earphones in, it's going right into your ears and I... I can't focus, I can't think, I can't speak. So it's a quite, an, quite an adverse reaction. I now have something on my Zoom uh, waiting room that says, please ensure that you are hydrated and you've had something to eat before our call. Jane, can you share a success story you had of someone who came to you for help for their misophonia at work? I have quite a few people where the main problem is work. That's the reason they're looking for help because it's disrupting their work. I had someone who came to see me who didn't think I could help. She'd ha- she was very clear that she didn't think I could help. She- her doctor had referred her to see me and she's like, I'm doing it because I want to prove that I'm right, that this can't be fixed. <laughs> and so we we ended up doing some of those exercises and, and we did what we call inviting sounds. And it's where, as a way of manipulating the sense of control, you actually pretend that you want the person to do the thing. And so she would do this thing like, okay, go on, sniff a little bit louder. Come on, no, no, sniff, sniff louder. Like really show me how bad your cold is because you clearly want me to know that you're suffering in the corner there. We just flip the switch on control. So it's like you are now asking them to create this sound and then get back on with your work. And this is a person who didn't believe that it was possible and was begrudgingly saying it's I've changed my entire mindset. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know what this witchcraft is, but it just feels different now. And I don't think I'll ever go back to the kinds of reactions that I had before because I have a completely new mindset. So let's look at some solutions now for people who might be irritated at work because of sounds or because they have misophonia. What's your advice? My first piece of advice is don't talk about it when you're still angry, (laughs) that actually the conversation needs to be had separate from the sounds. As much as you just want to shut it down, it almost never goes well trying to tell somebody to stop something that they're doing out of habit that they don't even realise is a problem. So if it's possible to have a conversation about it separate from the moment, then that's my first piece of advice. My second piece of advice is to recognise that not everybody has the same needs. Sometimes when we communicate this, we just assume that other people have the same needs as us. So it's like, everyone's going to be bothered by this. So you need to stop it. And actually part of that is owning, oh, actually I need this, but other people might not need this. And so when you're having a discussion about it, being able to share what those needs are. So for example, if someone can concentrate better when they're listening to music and so they keep turning the radio on and someone else can concentrate better when it's silent, you need to have that conversation and work out a solution together that helps to meet both people's needs or at least work out a compromise and decide whose is more important. 
the other thing I would suggest is if there are subtle changes that you can make in the office that won't affect anyone else, just make them. So I just started to buy these really nice silent sweep clocks that don't tick and it made my life so much better and they were pretty so no one else complained. (laughs) And I just left a trail of rose gold silent clocks behind me. Thanks to my guest, Jane Gregory, a clinical psychologist from Oxford University. You're welcome. Thank you for having me and thank you for talking about misophonia. There are still so many people out there who don't know what it is. And hello to Jane's parents who listen every week. Libby and Ken in Swan Hill. Hi. (laughs) Thanks for listening. And I should probably say I'm sorry for every time I glared at you at the dinner table. And thanks to all of you This Working Lifers who shared your stories with us. I'm Lisa Leong. Thanks for listening to This Working Life. It's produced by Zoe Ferguson, mixed by Brendan O'Neill. This episode was produced on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Until next time, work it, baby. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.